Frankie, come, come on. Frankie, come. Good boy, good boy. Sit, good boy. Down, down, good boy. And stay, stay, good boy. How about you? Can you sit down and stay for the next half hour? This is Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. Hello there and welcome to the April 17th edition of Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. I'm Devon from Canada. Well, this social distancing era is certainly a different way of life, isn't it? Let's begin by listening to an interview I did recently with Rob Kramer, a guide dog mobility instructor with CNIB Guide Dogs here in Canada, about how we can go about keeping our assistance dogs active and engaged. Hi, Rob, and welcome to the program. Hey, thanks, David. A few days ago, I heard a Zoom presentation that you were doing uh, with regard to how to keep your guide dog, or I guess it would uh, work with service dogs as well, but your guide dog engaged and uh, interested in what's going on. Um, And I wondered if uh, you and I could talk about a few of those things. One of the things that, that really caught my attention attention was with regard to what you called the snuffle mat. Can you explain that a little bit for us? Yeah, sure. Um, a snuffle mat's just one of many pieces of enrichment equipment available um, for dogs these days. Um, you can buy them, you can purchase them online, but you can also, um, it, it's, a good, it's a good little project to uh, make one yourself as well. Um, so the idea behind the snuffle mat is it's trying to engage the dog's natural foraging, um, you know, their natural senses. So it's, it's foraging, but it's also using their nose to sniff out the rewards. So essentially what you do um, is you take the snuffle mat, which is, which is usually, um, usually fairly small, maybe uh, 18 inches by, by 18 inches. And it's, uh, it, it's a mat, so if you think like shag carpeting, it's, it's like a small piece of rug with big pieces of material um, protruding from it. And the idea is that you can hide um, some of your dog's food in the folds of material um, so they can't see the food. They're going to have to use those natural senses and sniff out where the food is and then snuffle their nose in there to get it. So um, it's a good way to mentally stimulate your dog um, to engage those natural senses um, and to, to tire them out a little bit at, at meal times. Um, you can use it as well in between meals as long as you're conscious that you're um, monitoring your dog's intake of food. Um, but it's a nice way to, to wear them out uh, mentally and give them something else to do at these times where we may not be going on as many, uh, as many walks or as many um, trips as, as would be normal. Okay, well, that sounds like a really good thing. I imagine it slows them down when they're eating too, does it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it, when I give my pet dog um, a meal using the snuffle mat, she's a Labrador, so the typical meal time might be 
30 seconds if we're lucky. Yes. Uh, with the snuffle mat, that extended to probably 30 minutes. Um, so, so it definitely slows them down. The only caveat is to, to just monitor um, your dogs with the piece of equipment um, because some dogs may decide to become a bit destructive and tear up the mat because it is a soft material. Um, so what I always do is I give them the mat and I stay close to them while they're using the snuffle mat and then I'll take it away um, because it's going to have some residual scent on it from the food. Um, so it's just something, it's a good piece of equipment, but requires supervision. And uh, for the most part, would you say that they're washable? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fairly simple material. So it's just usually a rubber frame, sometimes a plastic frame, um, and then just... Um, pieces of material, so cotton. So, yeah, quite washable. Okay, good. And um, I was wondering if you could go over some of the other ways that uh, you were talking about with regard to en engaging uh, your dog. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess the first thing is always to contact um, your, your guide dog school or um, service dog organization um, before um, trialing any new activities, just make sure it's something that um, they would condone and endorse. Um, so, so it's just worth worth checking. But from a from a canine point of view, um, the world's going to be a little bit different right now as, as they're not getting out so much, um, and they do have those needs. They, you know, especially young dogs are going to be wanting to, to get out and exercise and and have their brain stimulated, really, um, have those challenges that they would normally have. So what, what I've been um, suggesting to people is to try and fulfill those needs indoor as much as possible. So from a, from a mental stimulation point of view, we're looking at challenging them, essentially. So anything that's going to challenge that brain is going to have benefit, um, and it's going to wear them out. So it makes them usually a lot easier to be around as well because they're not pacing and, you know, they're going to be a lot more relaxed and happy. So I'm looking at anything that's going to challenge your individual dog. Um, for a lot of dogs, that could mean uh, doing obedience, doing obedience routines that have been taught to you by your school, um, but maybe making them a little bit trickier. Um, maybe look for some of the areas um, of your dog's obedience that could use developing and try and strengthen those those behaviors. Um, I personally love um, working on developing a dog's weight response so, or stay for some people. Um, but what I want to do is when I say wait or stay, I want them to wait or stay no matter what's happening. Um, the important thing is to build those build the behavior up gradually. So typically, we might tell a dog to sit and wait or stay, and we might, you know, walk six paces from them and go, yeah, they've, they've got a good, good standard of weight. What I want to do um, is see how long they wait and when there's other things going on. So you could try moving quickly around them. You could try leaving the room and then coming back. Uh, definitely start with a short duration initially when doing that. Um, you could try and throw some toys past them while still holding the weight. And then make sure you praise them and reward them when they do, if they are successful. If 
they're not successful, you want to back down that level of distraction a little bit. Um, so weight is a great one. You can you can also um, use the weight command and reinforce that, um, but also work on recall. Um, and one of the ways you could do that is playing hide and seek with your dog. So ask him to sit and wait in one spot in your house. Make sure you're rewarding that sporadically. But then similar times, you could ask them to come back to you and work on that recall. And they've got to search you out and find you. Um, as they get better with their weight and they're holding that, you might be able to move further and further away from them. You know, you could go to another uh, another floor of the house, you could go to another room and really get them to um, maybe use their nose to search for you and find you. Um, so you're, you're consolidating that recall as well. Um, so it's a nice, simple game, but you're actually getting benefit and that's, that's sort of what I want. I want to have training activities where you're getting um, a benefit in terms of behavior and you know, you're going to end up with stronger responses going forward, but you also want something that's going to give them that mental stimulation. And hiding or seek is, is a great one to accomplish both. All right. That sounds good. Any other uh, suggestions? Yeah, yeah. I mean, teaching any tricks is always good. Mm-hmm. Um, the act of learning for dogs, just like us, is going to be tiring for them. So um, there's plenty of resources online in terms of, how to treat, uh, how to teach individual tricks, um, but teaching tricks and and if you can, you know, it's good to make those useful tricks um, for for your guiding work or for your service dog work. So, um, my my dog's a, a pet dog. She's one that didn't make it through training, but she was a bit bored last week, so I started to teach her to locate door handles with oh. her nose. Right. Um, I actually had some assistance with that. Uh, my, my seven-year-old daughter helped me out with teaching that. Um, so it was, I was kind of multitasking. It was education for my daughter as well as my dog. Yeah. <laughs> but, but just the act of teaching that was enough to wear her out. We did about five-minute sessions um, teaching her to locate the door handle with her nose, and within five minutes she was she was fast asleep. So um, you can you can certainly teach teach tricks. Um, you can play a lot of impulse control games will be beneficial, um, and you don't require a lot of space. So um, think about teaching your dog maybe to leave a toy when you ask them to, and then letting them play and engage with the toy when you say it's okay. So they're learning to, to sort of switch on and off and go from play from play mode to self-control. Um, so that's another thing you can, you can do very easily in the home. Um, off-lead obedience um, is another good one you can practice. So even just doing heel work throughout your house with the dog off-lead and praising them and rewarding if you'd like when they're in the correct position. Um, I know some people who who um, use an exercise where they, they attempt, they find a, a safe space um, without too many obstacles around, and they do heel work in the shape of letters. So you could spell out words um, if you imagine that there's paint on your feet and on your dog's feet, you want to sort of draw the outline of a letter or a basic shape. Um, the benefit of that is your movements are going to be quite un- unpredictable for the dog, which is 
which is what we really want. We want them to be checking in and seeing what you're doing. So, you know, drawing a letter, you're going to shift, you're going to turn into your dog, away from your dog, and you want them to be in tune with your movements and following along. Now, you were talking about um, resources, um, online probably resources, where you could find uh, more of these tricks. Do you have a website that you could recommend? Um, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. Um, for some basic dog behavior, uh, basic dog training, um, there's a good site on YouTube called KikoPup. It's K-I-K-O. P-U-P. Um, there's also a podcast um, uh, concerning dog training and behavior called Drinking from the Toilet. It should be available on iTunes and wherever you get your podcast. Okay. Um, but that, that has um, pretty in-depth conversations with um, various experts in the field on a variety of topics. So that may not, most of those podcasts aren't going to give step-by-step breakdowns on how to teach a trick or a behavior, but really interesting stuff um, for us to learn um, while we have this time at home. So there's some really, really, really detailed information in that, in that podcast. Okay. Now, in the case of guide dogs, uh, years ago, the CNI used to teach their dogs to retrieve like for example if you are to drop your keys uh, you might be able to say fetch the keys or something like that would you recommend still doing something like that with uh, with guide dogs who aren't used to doing that sort of thing and weren't trained to do that um, again it's worth checking with your individual school um... But personally, yeah, I mean, I was um, actually just working with a guide dog handler um, last week on, on that exact thing. So she was working on teaching her to retrieve um, shoes, and so the, her dog um, was able to achieve that quite quickly. Um, so now she's actually working on teaching her, teaching her dog to retrieve specific shoes. So she's trying to differentiate running shoes to boots to dress shoes. So it's... It's certainly possible, um, and, and in that case, she really felt there was a benefit to, to the dog um, because it was learning, and, and he was quite tired out from it, um, but it also benefited, um, it would, well, it should, moving forward, be a benefit for her because, you know, who doesn't want their shoes delivered to them? So the only thing I would say is definitely talk to school um, if you're going to pursue that sort of activity um, because there is risk that you could be teaching your dog to pick something up and play with something that we really don't want them interacting with. Um, it's, it's a bit of a, um, it can be a lengthy process to teach them to retrieve specific articles as well, and it's going to depend on your dog's um, natural retrieval, retrieving instinct as well. So certainly um, something that can be done, just need to make sure it's appropriate for your situation, your individual situation. Right. Not, for example, a sandwich. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. There's plenty of things we don't want them retrieving. No, that's for sure. Um, another game, though, um, that I, uh, I was working on with my pet dog was identifying specific family members. Uh-huh. Um, so I was teaching her. She already had a pretty good response. I asked her, you know, where's your mommy? She was quite solid with that. But I started to teach her um, the names of my children. Which 
I probably thought she knew, but yeah. when I started to test it, um, she definitely wasn't clear. She knew I was asking her for someone that wasn't mom, but she wasn't clear on the difference between my son and my daughter. So we spent 10, 10 minutes um, starting to teach that. So I'd have my kids put their hand up, um, very visible to my dog, and I'd ask my dog to find, to find that, that child. Um, and when she started to move towards him, I'd praise her and reward her. Um, and over the course of a couple nights, she started to develop a pretty good response to the children's names. Um, so it's another one that's easy to do. It definitely challenged her um, and wore her out, so there was benefit. And if we're ever playing hide-and-seek and I want to find my kids, it's going to be a lot easier now. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. Unless there's anything else, I'd like to thank you very much for for being with us and passing along those tips for us. Yeah, no problem. It's um, yeah, it's been a pleasure to chat to you, and um, yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully, this time provides everyone with a chance to to be creative with their dogs um, and how they enrich their dogs' lives and provide the stimulation that they require. So. Um, just be cautious, contact your school, but be creative. Um, there's, uh, there's lots for these dogs to learn, and there's, there's plenty of ways to provide enrichment within the home environment. One thing that can be said about the training programs is that they're doing their best to keep in touch with their graduates. Here's some advice offered by Dr. Kate Kosminski from Guide Dogs for the Blind, which will serve all of us very well. COVID-19 and Companion Animals by Kate Kosminski, Medical Director of Guide Dogs for the Blind. The past few weeks have been exceptionally tumultuous for us all. We have learned firsthand what the novel SARS-CoV-2 can do to people and have had our daily routines and social circles turned upside down as we shelter in place. Thank goodness we have our dogs and other companions to keep us company during this time. So, what about COVID-19 and Companion Animals? I think the truth is that we are all learning about the virus SARS-CoV-2 and the disease it creates, COVID-19, on a daily basis. There are over 1.4 million cases of COVID-19 in people worldwide, yet we have heard very little about any illness in companion animals. This week's news is that a tiger at the Bronx Zoo in New York tested positive for SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes the disease COVID-19. This is the first animal in the United States who has tested positive for the virus and is one of seven big cats in the zoo thought to be experiencing signs of COVID-19. It is presumed that the virus was transmitted to the tiger from an infected, but asymptomatic, caretaker. This isn't a domesticated companion animal exactly, but it is a similar situation to the cat in Belgium who tested positive for SARS-CoV-2 while living in a COVID-19 plus home. Both cats had clinical signs of COVID-19 became infected from a human and are expected to recover fully. Preliminary research in China has shown that a small group of cats became infected with the coronavirus that causes COVID-19 when they were inoculated with very high doses directly into their nasal passages. While not exactly replicating real life given the extent of the dose of virus used, the study still waiting for peer review does support the idea that cats may be susceptible to SARS-CoV-2. 
In fact, scientists believe that cats may have a protein receptor on the surface of their respiratory cells that is similar to that of humans. In humans, this particular receptor protein, ACE2, is the point of attachment for the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Once the virus attaches to the receptor, it can enter the cells and multiply. So in a sense, cats and humans are thought to have a similar doorknob that allows the virus to enter the respiratory system. And while cats can get SARS-CoV-2 from people, there is no evidence to show that humans can get it from cats. And what about COVID-19 and dogs? The same preliminary research project in China demonstrated that dogs are not very susceptible to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. We know of the two dogs in Hong Kong that tested positive after their owners became ill with COVID-19, neither of which had clinical signs. Studies on the susceptibility of animals to SARS-CoV-2 support a low risk of infection of and from dogs. It seems that while dogs may have a low risk of becoming infected, there is no evidence that dogs can become infectious to other dogs or to people or that they even become sick from the virus. The truth is that what we are learning about COVID-19 and people and animals is dynamic and as it changes day to day. What hasn't changed is that experts continue to believe that pets are not a major factor in the spread of COVID-19. Humans remain the greatest risk to other humans. We know that our companion animals have a beneficial impact on our emotional and mental health. They are integral members of our family and can help reduce anxiety during this time of isolation and quarantine. It is important that we keep all of our family members healthy and safe during this public health emergency. Considerations for GDB program dogs, guide dogs, breeder dogs, GDB puppies as well as pet dogs during COVID-19. One social distancing is for people and our dogs. Keep your dog away from other people and animals when you are out in public. If someone else is not respecting the six-foot social distancing rule and touching your dog, please remind them that both you and your dog are social distancing. If your dog does get coronavirus on the feet or fur, it is unlikely that the virus will live long enough to be an issue. If you are truly concerned, bathe the dog with animal-safe soap-slash-shampoo when you return home. Please don't apply hand sanitizer or other disinfectants to any companion animal. Baby wipes will not kill the coronavirus Dot, 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 but soap and water will. Two, if you are having COVID-19 symptoms, protect your dog like you do your other family members. Limit your contact with all of your housemates. If possible, have another family member in the house provide daily care for the dog until you are feeling better. If this isn't an option, wear a cloth face mask when interacting with your dog and don't share food. Kiss or cuddle while you are sick. Finally, always remember to wash your hands before and after handling any animals. Three, make a plan that identifies someone who can care for your program dog in case you are too sick to do so. Ensure you have enough food, medications and supplies ready for at least 14 days. Include the contact information for your pet's veterinarian and vaccine records in your pet's go bag. 3. Until we learn more about the virus, it is a good idea to keep your animals away from other animals and people if someone in your house is infected with COVID-19 because all animals can carry germs that can make people sick. We should always practice healthy habits when handling animals. This includes washing hands before and after all interactions and when handling their food, waste, or supplies. Well, believe it or not, we do actually have another major piece of news that we need to pass along to you. And if you're still having lingering issues with Uber or Lyft, You'll want to get on this because the deadline is today. Uber, Lyft, and Service Animals. The discrimination continues Monday, April 13th. 
2020 by Valerie Yingling. After three years of implementation and monitoring, the National Federation of the Blind Settlement Agreements with Uber and Lyft are set to expire this summer. Progress has been difficult to measure, and discrimination by rideshare drivers against travelers with service animals continues. Indeed, travelers continue to encounter driver discrimination such as that experienced by Marion Guizdala, where a driver refused to transport Marion with his service animal even though he and a bystander explained to the driver that Marion's dog was a service animal and not a pet. The driver rolled up his car windows, locked the doors, and drove away while Marion's hand was still on the car door handle, pulling him two to three feet. And riders continue to encounter discrimination such as that experienced by Leslie Hamrick where after Leslie entered an Uber with her 10-year-old son and her service animal, the driver asked Leslie to put her service animal in the trunk. When Leslie didn't, the driver refused to depart and called the police. Though the police attempted to explain the difference between a service animal and a pet, the driver still would not transport Leslie, her son, and her service animal. Leslie's son no longer wants to travel in an Uber or Lyft because of this terrible experience. NFB's rideshare testing program has identified that though riders report cases of Uber and Lyft drivers knowingly discriminating against travelers with service animals, Uber and Lyft continue to engage in a pattern of driver re-education and multiple strikes. Instead of a zero-strike driver termination policy for knowing denials as required in the settlement agreements. Link NFB's year 3 lift testing report further documents the reasons drivers give for not being able to transport riders with service animals, including allergies, a fear of dogs, and driving a car that does not belong to them. The report highlights new ways in which drivers attempt to bypass their legal obligations by canceling rides and telling Uber or Lyft that it was because they had a flat tire or had to get gas. Because Uber and Lyft drivers continue to deny rides to travelers with service animals, we are preparing to return to court and we need your assistance. You can help in two important ways. First, continue to report both successful rides and incidents of rideshare driver discrimination via the link NFB's rideshare survey so we can objectively demonstrate changes on each platform. Second, contact Valerie Yingling at linkvingling at nfb.org by April 17, 2020, so that she can help you prepare a signed statement if any of the following apply to you. Bullet A persistently substantial percentage of your rights result in overt discrimination by drivers when you notify them of the presence of your service animal. Bullet A significant number of your ride denials occur in sequence or across a brief period of time when drivers are made aware of the presence of your service animal. Bullet Uber or Lyft often responds by only warning drivers after you presented Uber or Lyft staff with compelling evidence of the drivers knowing denial because of your service animal. Bullet Uber or Lyft often lets drivers off with a warning without interviewing one or more witnesses whose contact information was provided to staff in support of a knowing denial. Bullet drivers seemed unaware of their legal obligations due to language barriers. Bullet you find it difficult to easily obtain information about a driver who cancels before starting a trip. Bullet you have changed your frequency of submitting service animal related complaints to Uber or experience other frustration with the amount of effort needed to submit complaints. Thank you for continuing to support the NFB's efforts to eliminate Uber and Lyft driver discrimination and to ensure that all travelers with service animals can live the life we want. For more information about the NFB's Uber and Lyft testing program and testing data, visit our link Uber and Lyft information page or contact Valerie Yingling at linkvingling at nfb.org. I just want to make sure that you have the correct spelling of that name so that you can send an email if you wish to. The author of that article was Valerie Yingling.
So the email is v y i n g l i n g at nfb dot org. And now, before we go, I want to remind you that April twenty ninth, the last Wednesday in April, is International Guide Dog Day. And it's a time when we should all step up and do whatever we can to increase the public's appreciation of just how special our dogs are to us, and how much they do for us, and how much they impact on our lives. And I will see you again on Friday, May fifteenth. Until then, thanks so much for listening. Stay safe and be well. Bye for now. This is Sean Klein. Regular host of Everything with the Kitchen Sink here on the Global Voice, and on the fourth Friday of every month, I'll be bringing you Odds and Sods, a half-hour monthly show featuring interesting things and curiosities I've found on the internet, touching on a variety of subjects, from humanity's first recordings of its own voice in the 1850s, the federal government bouncing shortwave signals off the moon. An old World War II era film about the use of radio during the war, auditory illusions, alternate musical scales, what noise does an ostrich make? A dinosaur? We'll be exploring these and much more on Odds and Sods. 1730 UTC, every fourth Friday of the month, here on the Global Voice. Check the program schedule for repeats.